0: Good morning, I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, a program where I speak with nonprofit groups and organizations finding out how they serve our community and getting updates on their current projects. For today's program, I'm sharing a recent conversation I had on Zoom with Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. I'm speaking with...
1: Ed Sakwa, and I'm the CEO at Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse.
0: I would like to start things off today with finding out a little bit of background about Emerge, who you are, what you do, and how long have you been operating in
1: Tucson? Yeah, so Emerge is uh, this community's domestic violence service provider. And We're the only comprehensive uh, services for domestic violence survivors in Tucson. We try to be as close to all things, to all people as we possibly can, knowing that we're it. And so we've got a 24-7 crisis hotline, an emergency shelter, community-based services for, for folks who don't need a residential component to their help, but still need things like assistance, navigating the legal system or um, connecting with other resources in the community, having support groups, safety planning, emotional support, all of those kinds of things. We've got a small housing program as well that helps people connect with either transitional or permanent housing. We do programming specifically for children uh, and for the parent who's trying to support their child through this process. We also have uh, services for men who are using abuse behaviors, who are trying to make a change in those behaviors. So we try to cover that whole spectrum. We've been in this community since 1975. Uh, it was previously Tucson Center for Women and Children and the Brewster Center. Those two agencies merged back in 2008 and became a merge.
0: Something that has really much, really come to light in recent years is the risk of isolation. Um, yes. So we think of the shutdown stay-at-home orders and recently I think of the great resignation that you see and read about because so many women are leaving the workforce because they don't have proper child care available right now and when you're living your life behind closed doors you may find yourself in a domestic situation that you know isn't right but you don't necessarily know exactly what's wrong and so I would like to take some time to kind of Go over types of domestic abuse and how to identify an unsafe relationship environment.
1: Well, I think you touched on one of the most critical factors facing us at this time, which is that, that piece of isolation. That's always a risk point for domestic abuse survivors. It's it's a very common tactic used in domestic abuse situations where the abusive partner intentionally looks for ways to isolate their partner, whether that's things like geographic isolation, moving them to a community or an area of town they have no support system or friends, um, whether it, it's isolation in the sense of sometimes going to their work and causing them to get fired um, so that they have to uh, leave that support network. It might be being really mean to the the person's friends or family so that they don't want to come around, all those things that help that person control their partner by having less uh, outside influence and less um, supports for that person to turn to if they're going to try to do something different. And then you add on COVID. And that isolation that we've all felt as we've quarantined or, or you know, tried to, to socially distance in a, in a more macro sense. And it means that, right, people are even more isolated than ever before. And, and you talked about the shutdown or the um, uh, stay-at-home orders and things of that earlier on in the pandemic. What we actually saw was even though every indicator from folks we were speaking to suggested that levels of abuse, rates of abuse were up the calls to our hotline uh, fell through the floor. They just fell off substantially because people didn't have the ability to reach out for help while they're at home with their partner. They didn't have that freedom or privacy to be able to try to connect with help. And so it really emphasized the point you're making, which is the more that people are isolated or at home for whatever reason, whereas most of us have kind of retreated to our homes for safety from, from the spread of a virus, other people are locking themselves in with the greater risk, which is their abusive partner. So it really is a, a substantial issue. And it, it then becomes important for the rest of us who, are, who serve as the support system, friends, family, neighborhood, coworkers, to actively reach out and try to keep connected with those folks so that they are a little bit less isolated. To your point about not knowing what to do or even being able to identify, is this abusive or not? And that's a, a key piece. Um, and our hotline, by the way, is there not only for people who know they're in a domestic violence situation and are in the middle of a crisis and needing to flee. We are there for that as well. But we're also there for folks who are just contemplating, trying to figure out, is this abusive? is or, And if so, what the heck can I do about it? So we encourage people to reach out for, for all of that. And we can talk through the particulars. Because unfortunately, you know, there's, there are many types of abuse we can talk about. There's physical, sexual, financial, emotional, verbal, but what it all comes down to is that it looks different in every situation, every relationship, because that abusive partner is figuring out which tactics, which forms of abuse they can use that will get what they want, which is for their partner to do what they want them to do or stop doing what they don't want them to do. And they figure out what works best in that situation and and use that. But what the common theme is in all of those cases is control. And so if, if you're experiencing or see somebody experiencing a situation where that partner is exerting some form of control over their lives to dictate what they do, how they do, when they do, whatever form that takes, that's part of abuse.
0: You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm speaking with Ed Sackwa, CEO for Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. Can you tell me about some of the ways Emerge helps in getting people out of a domestically violent situation?
1: Well, the first thing that we do is is help people to understand that it is not their fault, (laughs) to help people understand that uh, they they get to drive the bus here. They get to decide what the next steps are. We're not going to tell anybody what they should do or shouldn't do. It, it's really uh, something that each person has to make their own decision on. Some people choose to leave that situation. Others do not. And we're here to support all of the above, to help people be as safe as they can in whatever situation. So if they're staying, how can they be as safe as possible staying? If they're leaving, how can they be as safe as possible leaving? Knowing that leaving does not mean automatic safety, um, that it's really up to that abusive partner to decide to stop being violent. Leaving that situation does not mean they're going to stop being violent, but it can create additional safety. So it's, it's figuring out the nuances and the, the particulars of that situation. What our job is, is really to help that person then see what options they have, see what resources exist through Emerge or elsewhere in the community that can support them in being as safe as possible in whatever decision they're making if they are choosing to leave that situation, that relationship, Um, that can be one of the most dangerous times for people. And so we want to do a lot of safety planning around how can you do that in the safest way possible? What kind of steps can you take? And how can you be prepared for that? And when they're leaving, that often means leaving behind important income. It means leaving behind stability. Uh, It might mean leaving behind any kind of housing option. And so then our job is to also help them identify what that might look like for them, how they'll be able to financially um, support themselves, keep a roof over their head for them and their children, whether that's through Emerge or not, um, and then thinking about, you know, what are their goals, what do they need, what what's next, and how can we support them in doing that and, and accompany them on that journey so that they don't have to do it alone.
0: And from what I understand, you are able to also help make connections, like perhaps they need like legal assistance.
1: Yes. um, So we can definitely connect people to legal aid and other kinds of services that help with the legal process. We provide what's called lay legal services, so no attorneys, um, but helping people to understand the legal process, uh, navigate what can be a really scary system in terms of the criminal justice system or the civil justice system for that matter can be very intimidating so helping people to do that um, and we even have some ability to provide even a little uh, deeper kinds of uh, support uh, through court accompaniment and things like that so yeah that whether it's the legal process or housing or transportation or jobs or childcare, again, helping to guide people with information and resources, it can feel very hopeless when trying to navigate all that on your own
0: overwhelming, so much to add on top of it. So I had read something on your website that I would like to hear you kind of explain a bit further. Domestic abuse is a community problem, and we believe communities are the solution. Can you expand upon what that means?
1: For sure. You know, For a long time, the approach to dealing with domestic violence has been organizations like Emerge providing services like we've just spoken about. And those are really important, and they're all after the fact. Mm-hmm. It's only once somebody has already had to suffer through the abuse that they then reach out and can get the services that we offer. And the reality is that will never end domestic violence. It just helps after the fact. And what we want to ultimately get out of get at is how do we put ourselves out of business? How do we make it so that nobody needs anything after the fact because it's not happening? How do we actually prevent this thing? And the reality is that does not happen from services like Emerge. We can't arrest our way out of it. Like None of those things will actually stop it in the first place our belief is that the root cause of domestic violence and all gender-based violence for that matter, not that domestic violence is exclusively male violence against women, Um, it happens in um, same sex relationships, it happens where um, women are abusive towards men, absolutely. However, it is critical for us to just be real about the fact it is predominantly far and away a male violence against women issue. And all of gender-based violence is often rooted in belief systems and socialization, the way that we are taught to believe about very rigid gender roles and about what it means in particular to be a man and how I need to show up to be accepted as a man. Those kinds of things and what we as a community tolerate in terms of behaviors, things that we consider to be jokes, the objectification, particularly sexual objectification of women, the dehumanization of women that often happens, when we accept that, we perpetuate those belief systems that suggest that ultimately, if I happen to be abusive towards my partner, it's all right. Because as a man, I am superior, and I do have the right to treat this, this object, who's really only here for my sexual satisfaction. That's all she's good for. What's it matter if I slap her? Those kinds of belief systems and those kind of things that when we make jokes, we as men in particular make jokes about women being sex objects or women being lesser than, we laugh it off as if it's some kind of funny thing, but it's ultimately teaching all of us that this is okay. And when it leads to violence, then we shouldn't really be surprised. So all that to say, if that's the root of it, it's also the solution to it, which is if we don't want to see violence perpetuated against women, then we've got to start thinking about women and men differently. And we've got to start thinking about what manhood means differently. And so that's we got to stop tolerating things, stop laughing at those things, start teaching our children different things. All those are the, ultimately the solution that ends this mess.
0: And this kind of builds directly off of that. I saw that you have a men's education program. And I would like to hear more about what this program is.
1: Yeah. So, this is a program. That includes some men who are court ordered to attend because they've been convicted of domestic violence related charges, um, but it also includes men who are there voluntarily, and that that can mean different things. Sometimes it's truly voluntary, like I know that I use some some abusive controlling behaviors um, that I want to make a change about, or I want to help uh, support other men in bringing about some of those changes, and so I want to go learn more about it. Other times it's it's not court ordered, but it's people who know that if they want to have a chance uh, at keeping the relationship, keeping their partner uh, invested in that relationship, they need to get some help. It could be that they know in order to make sure their kids aren't taken away from them, that they need some help. And so this is getting those men into a room and having real conversations. It's not us teaching them how to be good men. It's not us saying, well, we figured out how to be good men and you're bad men, so let me teach you. It's way more about I, as a man, whether I'm the CEO of the domestic violence service provider in town or not, am socialized like every single other man in this this community, in this country, in this world, that I'm invited every day to treat women badly. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm given permission by society to do that every day, and I've got to make conscious choices not to do that. So it's really about all of us together as men saying, hey, I'm in this too, I'm trying to figure this out too, but let's do it together. And let's talk about what are those things that we have been taught that ultimately have uh, done us harm, and then in turn done our partners harm. And how do we change those beliefs? How do we reconsider those things? How do we think about how we might have experienced abuse um, as children and how that has shaped our thinking and we in turn may be doing the very things that we swore were we would never do when we saw them being done as children. And so it's, it's just having those kinds of deep conversations, holding each other accountable, for those behaviors that are unsafe for others, but doing so out of love, not out of judgment and shaking our finger at people, but just saying, hey, we care about you. We care about your partner in this community. How can we all together um, start thinking about these things differently?
0: an opportunity for growth, not just a prescription for-
1: Absolutely, right. Yeah, because who, who, nobody changes because they're told to. <laughs> People change because we, we come to some kind of realization that what we're doing isn't working for us um, and isn't what we wanna be doing or who we wanna be. And that's the kind of shift we're looking to have. And, and when that's done, then those men can go have conversations with other men in their lives to start that long process of us undoing the way that we've all been socialized.
0: You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm speaking with Ed Sakwa, CEO for Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. So I'd like to kind of shift directions a little bit and talk about uh, your community impact because like we mentioned, we've been dealing with the pandemic for the past two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, What changes have you seen and how were you able to serve the community during these difficult last few years?
1: Yeah. So uh, prior to the pandemic, we served about 6,000 people a year. During the pandemic, it's been closer to 5,000. So there's a, still a huge number of people reaching out and needing support services, but it's certainly dipped some. And we know from, from people we have talked to that, it, as I said earlier, a lot of it really is about people having less opportunity to reach out because you know, when people work from home uh, and their partner now works from home, Again, less opportunity to reach out for help. Uh, so it, there's nothing to suggest that there's any less domestic violence going on. In fact, every indicator suggests there's more um, as there are additional stressors, there are people spending more time together, but the ability to reach out for help is the real struggle. So part of that is something Emerge tries to respond to. We're trying to make our services as accessible as possible, making them virtual uh, and remote um, as best we can so that people can still connect with us without the risk of in-person contact um, during the pandemic, which works for some, does not work for others. Some, you know, It's it's difficult to have very intimate personal conversations about something like this with a screen in between you, but we're trying to make it as, as easy for people to continue to reach out as possible. And then part of it is something Emerge can't help with, which is those folks who can never call us in the first place. And that's where we really do need, again, the community solution piece, which is to not rely on some third party but to say I know this is my friend my sister my coworker that I care about and I know that they are struggling right now I know they're isolated right now how can I continue to try to be a presence in their lives and make sure that they have access to me if that's helpful
0: Emerge qualifies for the Arizona charitable tax credit although I've been here in Arizona for several years the the tax credit is still relatively new to me yes. uh, so I would like can you explain to me a bit of how this works, as well as what you utilize your donations for at Emerge?
1: Well, the tax credit is definitely something that if, if people have detailed questions, they should, should check with a, a tax preparer to, to make sure that they're getting good good uh, technical advice on that, but the essence of it is that uh, we have this, this wonderful opportunity in Arizona where we can donate $400 as an individual or $800 as uh, a couple filing jointly, that we can donate that money to a qualifying organization like Emerge and have it be a full credit on their state taxes. So uh, if they give 400, then that's 400 less they owe in taxes. If they give 800 as a couple, that's 800 less they have to pay in taxes, which means that essentially the state is covering that donation. It's literally no money out of your pocket because you'd have been paying that to the state anyway. And now that 400 is less you have to pay to the state. So it's a really nice way of being able to support Services like Emerge and many others in the community with literally no impact out of your pocket. The way that we try to use those donations is, um, and the way it's, the reason it's so important for for the community when they support us is that it's flexible dollars. We have government grants and things like that that we we use, but all those government grants come with government strings and hoops to jump through and limitations of how we can use the dollars, and we. You know, the needs are not as rigid as that. They're, they're, they come up organically, they come up person by person what somebody needs in terms of the way that to best support them. So when we have flexible dollars in terms of contributions from the community, it allows us to be so much more adaptable and responsive to what that particular family might need in terms of support.
0: Is there anything that eMERGE has on the agenda moving forward into this new year right now?
1: There's, there's a couple of things we're, we're focused on. I mean, part of it is just the, the fact that this pandemic does continue and means that those that all the things we talked about in terms of barriers to to connecting with services continue to exist. And we want to keep being as responsive to that as well. We um, are actually now, thanks to some money from the the county and the city and a private anonymous donor, we are able to start the process of renovating our emergency shelter, um, which is badly in need of it, not only because of age, um, but also because it is structured as a communal shelter, meaning that that people share rooms. And that uh, has never been a great model. It's just the most cost-effective way to do it. But with COVID, it's just not even a practical safe way to shelter folks. And so we've had to move out of that facility to a temporary setting where people can have their own space. And now we're going to be able to renovate our shelter so that it is Um, what's called non-congregate, basically, that everybody has their own living space. So it'll be a lot safer, but also a lot better for people who are recovering from trauma. It's never a good idea to take folks who are struggling with that and then stick them in a room with strangers. So this will create a much better experience, much safer experience all the way around um, for these trauma survivors. So we are starting that process, but need a lot more money to keep operating those programs from the community. We're lucky that one, that anonymous donor has made a, a challenge grant to say that any new or increased giving from last year, they will match half of that. So if somebody gave us $100 last year and gives us $200 this year, the uh, matching grant will give us another 50 bucks on top of that. So it's helping us to kind of leverage what people are are able to give. So that is something we're really focused on for this next year. And then just continuing that work of how do we reach out to kids in schools? How do we reach out to groups in the community to have the conversation we were just having around how we have a, a real community solution to this issue and not just a response?
0: What are some of the outreach you provide for, say, a school or community group?
1: Yeah, we, we, Uh, can certainly do things like one-time presentations and and educational workshops and things of that nature. We do a lot of that, but also try to work on, on an ongoing basis with groups to keep having those conversations that you know, you can have a one-time presentation, but that's not the same as really diving into how do we create change. And so we are open to all of the above um, and we will work with different men's groups at say uh, the prison, we've done work out there. Um, we'll do work at a barber shop, we'll do, you know, and everywhere in between of wherever people are gathering and And wherever there is kind of influence over what people are um, believing and thinking that leads to the behaviors they have, we want to want to help uh, facilitate those kind of conversations.
0: Uh, is there anything else you would like to add before we start wrapping things up?
1: No, just that I I certainly appreciate you uh, helping to highlight this issue. And uh, we've always had tremendous support from the community that has helped us continue to do this work. And we just uh, hope that people will continue to do that through, yes, supporting Emerge, because it does take a lot of resources to support those five or 6,000 people every year, Um, but also that people be willing to start Um, contemplating how they can play a role in their personal life, how they can support survivors that they know in their personal life need that support, how they can talk to people in their lives they know are being abusive and start to have conversations to say, that's not okay. And there's help for you too. And how they can start thinking about, are there things that I do and say and believe and joke about and laugh at that really ultimately set a tone that lead us to believe it's okay for women to be treated this way that may not lead me to use violence towards a woman but it might lead someone else to because they believe that it's okay and how do we as a community start shifting that and it really does require each of us to to do some hard thinking to hold up a mirror a little bit and be willing to think what what can i do differently to help shift this on the bigger level so hope people will will continue to think about that in the new year
0: Well, before I let you go, will you just share the information of how people can find out more about eMERGE or get in contact with your organization?
1: Absolutely. Uh, The best way that people can get information about what we do, uh, educational information about domestic abuse, ways to volunteer, ways to donate. Um, all of those things can be found at our website, which is emergecenter.org. And if anybody is experiencing abuse and wants to reach out to have that conversation just to explore, to understand, or is in the needing immediate help with something, we hope that they'll they'll do that too. It's available 24 uh, seven. It's multilingual uh, and it is uh, a number you can call anytime at 795-4266. And if you are a friend or family member or a coworker who cares about somebody who's experiencing abuse and you wanna know how you can be helpful to that person, um, you can also call that hotline at 795-4266 and get some support on how to, deal with that particular situation. It's never cookie cutter. What's helpful and create safety for one person can actually create risk for somebody else based on the dynamics of their relationship. So it's always important to reach out and get some help figuring out how to be helpful uh, without accidentally creating some more more risk for that person because it, it can be difficult.
0: I really appreciate you taking this time to have a conversation with me and sharing this great information.
1: Thank you, Raleigh. We appreciate your support.
0: That was Ed Sakwa, CEO for Emerge Center Against Domestic Abuse. And the website again is EmergeCenter.org. You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley. And if you are part of a nonprofit group or organization that would like to be featured in an upcoming episode of the Lifestyle Tucson program, you can reach out to me by email, publicaffairs at azlotus.com. That is publicaffairs, all one word, at azlotus.com. For more information on the show or to listen back to something you may have missed, go to the Sunday mornings page at mixfm.com, kfma.com, klpx.com, or espntucson.com.